Customers are rushing to your store. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it a mm, real POS? You need Shopify for retail. Shopify POS is your command center for your retail store. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify has everything you need to sell in person. With Shopify, you get a powerhouse selling partner that effortlessly unites your in-person and online sales into the one source of truth. Track every sale across your business in one place and know exactly what's in stock. Connect with customers in line and online. Shopify helps you drive store traffic with plug and play tools built for marketing campaigns from TikTok to Instagram and beyond. Get hardware that fits your business. Take payments by smartphone, transform your tablet into a point of sale system, or use Shopify's POS Go mobile device for a battle-tested solution. Plus, Shopify's award-winning help is there to support your success every step of the way. Do retail right with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash theathletic, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash theathletic to take your retail business to the next level today. Shopify.com slash theathletic. The Athletic. The deflection takes it in. Predatory instincts of the highest order by Harry Kane. Hello, everybody, and welcome once again to the View from the Lane, the Tottenham Hotspur podcast from the Athletic. I'm Danny Kelly. I'm joined today by the Athletics' Jack Pitbrook and James Moore. A million things to get through. Contrastingly uh, dark and light. Uh, in the course of the next uh, 30 or so minutes, 30 minutes, who am I kidding? Um, we should start with something that's broken in the Athletic in the last few minutes. Um, David Ornstein reporting that Spurs are in talks with one of the, the world's biggest companies over stadium naming rights. Um, obviously, uh, I had no idea which company it was, so I looked it up on a search engine. Ha ha ha, it's Google. <laughs> it's Google. That joke had an old man walking along in front of it, a red flag, warning, joker's coming. James, I've got to say this. The amount of people who have been appointed over the years to um, find someone for, to get the, a company to do this naming rights thing, I suppose they've probably paid more in wages than they're going to get in the naming rights, aren't they? Yeah, I mean, I can't really... I, I, th- I think we did talk about this a, a year or so ago, maybe, didn't we? Wasn't there another story somewhere else, I think, maybe? Um, a less reputable... But before my time. Outlet. I don't get to, no, I don't I don't think to say that very often. I oh, don't think it was. Right. Uh, I'm sure we didn't right. we do jokes about like potential... Spun, like names of stadiums and stuff. Did we do that? I don't remember it, but it feels like the kind. Of, All right, it feels like our sort of vibe. I'm not. I'm not. Wait. I mean, yeah, Google. Right. It's probably opened a whole new. What do we think about Google? Uh, and what I do we think say, about? Would they get it done? Well, I mean, I don't know whether or not they'll get it done. In terms of like the jokes that that could uh, be coming at Spurs' expense, I'd say we've probably heard them all now already, haven't we? Spurs searching yeah. for a trophy. Yeah. You know, shows no results. Whatever. Uh, in terms of it, like the, uh, you're only going to get a stadium like that sponsored by a massive company, and there, I would say there are more sinister companies out there than Google. I'm not saying they're like a faultless organisation, but well, the two biggest sponsored stadiums in the Premier League are sponsored by you know fossil fuel burning airlines, both owned out of the UAE. 
Emirates and the Etihad. So in that sense, I mean, you know, it's not for me to judge about the ethics or not of Google and big tech, but it could have been worse, I guess. Yeah, I, I, the other thing that strikes me, and I, I mean, you know, we'll, we will get on to the events before and during and after the game at Brighton very, very soon. It's just that, you know, I see these figures being bandied about 250 million. It sounds fantastic. Over a period of 15 years or something, that's not that much, you know. I imagine the Chick King does better than that. Let's be truthful. Um, so uh, get it done if you're going to get it done. Um, and had they left it, it's been very interesting how they did it. By, by not allowing us to call it, you know, the new White Art Lane, um, they have left it so that human beings will call it whatever the, the new name is because the Spurs Stadium, is just, the Tottenham Hospital Stadium, it's a terrible name. I'm not sure about that. I'm not sure about that. If you talk about White Hart Lane, if, like it's kind of assumed that you're just talking about Tottenham yep. playing at home. Like, like if if you said Spurs have got Frankfurt at White Hart Lane on Wednesday night, like that wouldn't no, sit uncomfortable with me, and I don't think it would sit uncomfortable with any of the listeners. They've given it this this kind of sort Generic, of brand yeah. name, with Tottenham Hotspur Stadium. But I don't think uh, like you hear that on match of the day, and you know, you know, maybe at the start of the game on Sky or whatever. But I don't think fans. I, I've never heard a Spurs fan talk about oh, I'm off to the Tottenham Hotspur Stadium no. on Saturday for the big game. No one says that. You would look at you would look a bit. As- you wouldn't you at somebody who said fantastic game at Tottenham Hotspur Stadium or or somebody who wrote Tottenham Hotspur Stadium with capital T capital H capital S fantastic game of association football at the Tottenham Hotspur Stadium yeah because because weirdly Tottenham Hotspur Stadium sounds like one of those UEFA names which they have to use in yeah. like like kind of the Bayern Football Arena or whatever it is because they can't, UEFA can't say Allianz Arena. Have you see that video on the on the Euro twenty twenty four draw. And because all of the stadia in Germany are like are like sponsored by sort of Deut- pharmaceuticals and whatever, Deutsche yeah, exactly, Bank yeah. and yeah, they're all just like Frankfurt Arena, Leverkusen Arena, Dortmund Arena. Well, you know, we'll see. We'll see if the Google thing comes through. Um, I guess I could be persuaded to call it. I mean, you know, it's just that because we didn't move, it's still White Hart Lane. It's going to be. Let's settle with that. Let's not go too big on that, though, because we could be sort of doing the club out of money if we say that. I don't worry about things like that, to be honest, James. You know, presuming all of the all of the top brass at Google must listen to this. Well, well, I I know, I know the top, the very top man does. He often tweets me afterwards about it. Um, But James, if it's just reduced once again to which club can gather up the most money, then I'm, I'm afraid I'm losing touch with what I like about football. And I know it's important and all the rest of it, but it can't just become a race for money. Let's talk about the game at Brighton. Impossible to talk about it. Very important result, but impossible to talk about it without the context of the death which we were just catching on to in the middle of, no, towards the last 5% of the the last podcast of uh, Gian Piero Ventroni. Um, Jack, I'm going to leave this to you because, first of all, let me congratulate you. Um, I rarely say this, but you're, and not because it's not true, but but it, it really was your piece about um, the attitude of Spurs after the game to Ventroni and how deeply it had all been affected by it um, and the wider issue of how grief affects human beings, I thought was terrific. Tell us about the your experiences down at the Amex with relation to how the uh, the death of Ventroni affected the game. Yeah, it's, I remember going going into the game, I didn't, I just didn't know how much of a big deal the, the tributes to Ventrone would be and how much they would kind of colour the whole sense of the afternoon. And I didn't know whether it would, you know, just be one a minute of applause like you often, frankly, you often get at football games nowadays. Then we'd move on to focus on the football. 
But instead, the the passing of Ventrone and the tributes to him, I think, kind of really ended up colouring the whole occasion. Not just because of, you know, the way that Conte was crying beforehand and then the away the in the away end full of Spurs fans there were Italy flags and then Luis holding up the Ven- the Gian Piero shirt to the away end at the afterwards and in the, the press conference afterwards which was really unlike anything I've ever been to before in my career Conte spoke for about 10 minutes it was entirely about Ventrone he was clearly very moved at one point I asked him a question along the lines of uh, how difficult was it for you to take training or try and prepare the players on Thursday and Friday after this news? And he answered it very well, so much so that I started welling up in a way that I had, you know, not a normal experience as a football reporter um, at a post-match press conference. So yeah, the whole thing was very, very different from what I'm used to. Clearly, I think, I, I think to be honest, I had underestimated the, and this is really the thrust of my piece, I, I had underestimated the extent to which Everyone at Spurs had clearly been grieving a lot over the last, you know, from Thursday morning through to Saturday afternoon. Um, and that's really what I just wanted to convey in my piece. Well, you, you conveyed it very clearly. Can I ask you, uh, Jack, on a personal level, why do you think you were welling up? Because um, with all due respect, I don't think you know Ventrone. No. Um, no, you, you're, you're I never responding. met him. I've never no. spoken to him. No, I, I think, are you responding to watching another human being, in this case, Antonio Conte, suffering in public i think so yeah i think i mean look you know grief affects everyone differently it's you know affected me in different ways in the past but i think it's see seeing people grieving like that in at such and having to be themselves in public and perform in and like put on a face in public and talk about it in public that was the amazing thing is that conte had to do you know conte didn't have the luxury of doing this in private he didn't even have the luxury of taking time off work you know, really, he he was in work on Thursday. He told the players that Ventrone had died on Thursday morning. He took, you know, they all went home for the day after that, but he took training on Friday. Then on Saturday, he had to talk about Ventrone's death before the game in TV interviews. He had to sit there and clap and cry before the game. After the game, he had, you know, he was again filmed crying. And then he had to go and do, you know, uh, it would have been Sky Sports, radios, 10-minute press conference with us. I'm sure there would have been other rights holder interviews, you know, be in sports, that sort of thing. I imagine he would have done Spurs TV as well. And just re- and just say all this stuff over and over and over again. And maybe he would have found that, you know, maybe he would have found the process of talking about it e- made it easier, you know. I think, so. again, some people f- do find that, some people don't find that. Uh, and I just, yeah, I just found the whole the whole the kind of publicness like the, the the obvious painfulness of it and also the publicness of it uh to be yeah to be very moving what, what i found really impressive about jack's piece is that it didn't play to this uh sort of false narrative that there's like a one-size-fits-all m- method of grief that like everyone is going to react to the same thing in the same way i i think in football there's this really kind of quite like ghoulish expectation that footballers are going to react to a moment to a, a moment of grief like that in the same way and that is like a sort of up and at them roll your sleeves up blood and thunder performance in the next game and that's just like from you know I think I'm right in saying and I hope I'm not speaking out of 10 I'm sure we've all like experienced like the losses of people close to us like there are moments where you kind of feel a bit like that, but there are other moments like like within half an hour where you feel the complete opposite. And when it's so close to the event, and that would have completely like 
caught the. I mean, th- th- that would have completely caught those players out. They would not have been expecting that. From what we understand on Thursday morning, that would have just completely not them sideways. Well, the, 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 um, you're absolutely right. Um, I, I, I'm, I'm merely reiterating your words here, James. Um, Jack's piece points out that there is no correct way to grieve, and anybody who's it, it comes to us also. But I must say, you know, in my own personal life, I've seen something of a person go to a very, very bad place because somebody else had left them. You know, the the, 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 the grief was unimaginable to me. I've lost my father, you know, bless him. But, you know, I know how I dealt with it. Um, and it, it, there is no correct way. And I think um, extraordinary in a piece about um, football is it very soon changed just a piece about human beings. Um, and... Uh, the one thing I want to uh, and Jack again without blowing smoke it is a terrific read um, and one one thing I wanted to find out from the two of you with the timeline this did did the did the club know that he was ill so Conte spoke about this very candidly on in in the press conference on Thursday on sorry on Saturday evening and he said that the Thursday of the previous week that would have been two days before the Arsenal game Ventrone complained to Conte of having a fever and asked Conte's permission if he could miss a training session, which he was really reluctant to do because he's so committed. And Conte said, yeah, you know, it's your health, it's important, you should go and get checked out. Um, I, What I don't, what I think is kind of unclear is, did Ventrone know that he had leukaemia at this point or did the club know in detail? I genuinely, I, I mean, it's absolutely not for me to speculate on that because no, I don't know. But what I do know is that Con- Ventrone returned to Italy for this treatment and then was taken very gravely ill on Tuesday night. So the the Gazetta report, which broke the news of Ventrone's passing, said that he was on a ventilator in this hospital in Naples on Tuesday night and Conte himself admitted on Saturday that after the Eintracht Frankfurt game, which was last Tuesday evening in Germany, he was told afterwards at that point that Ventrone was in fact very gravely ill. Uh, and then of course he died, I think, late Wednesday night, early Thursday morning. Yeah, and the final bit on this, though, it does it does marble through the actual football match and its aftermath that we'll talk about in a second. Um, it's uh, notable as well, uh, and I guess inevitable, but still worth noting that the, the club's hierarchy, along with Antonio Conte, I think Daniel Levy, they've been to Italy for the funeral. Yeah, so Levy, Paratici, Conte, lots of other senior staff uh, and coaches flew to Naples first thing Sunday morning. Uh, for the funeral, which was in a church in Naples, and then uh, the they would have flown back, I believe, late Sunday night, and would therefore have been back in London on Monday. Uh, I know that the players, I gather that I think a lot of the players wanted to go, but I think it was just logistically too difficult, I think, at that point, for the squad to go as well. Okay, well, look, we'll talk about the game now, Brighton, um, although it is um, inevitable that some of the Ventrone um, discussion, as I say, winds its way in and out and weaves its way in and out of the uh, the performance. Um, and it's for each of you, I mean the listeners and the rather than us, to decide to what extent it was affected by uh, the, the the team as a whole and the players individually were affected by um, what, what had gone on in the previous seventy two hours. We should start by saying, um, and it, presumably it's just. Uh, you know, complete coincidence that Antonio Conte, in the middle of all that personal um, p- pain um, and pressure, um, decided after a long, long time to change 
the formation. Were you surprised, James? Yeah, I was. I was surprised by that. Having kind of talked about that so many times over the course of the season, uh, it was almost the last time. It was like the last moment, the last match. I expected it to change because having changed it mid-game against Leicester and then gone back to three-four-three after the international break at Arsenal, I, it kind of felt. It, it felt incredibly strange to me that suddenly, in that moment, he would change to that system. But I do think. I, I do think it worked pretty well for Spurs. I mean, I don't think it was a. You know. I don't think it was an incredible performance, and obviously for the reasons we've we've just spoken about, that's completely understandable. If that was a, that was a factor in that, um, but it was a far more controlled performance, uh, a far more competent performance, and one that I felt was probably more in keeping with the kind of performance we'd kind of grown to expect of the Spurs team sort of three or four years ago. I think, like I don't think that performance would have felt out of place if you'd seen. Peak Pochettino team. It, it, play it that appeared, way. yeah, I thought about this as well. It, it, appeared, it was a hybrid of Conte and, uh, and Pochettino. By no means a brilliant performance, but you could start to see what they were trying to do. Come back to how they did it and what they did do, uh, Jack. But um, I, I'm asking you because you go to the press conferences. Um, after what he said about Doherty, suddenly, I mean, literally, with no gap between the press conference where he, where he says, I don't want to lose, there he's in the team. Do you think you're being. Um, uh, played with now is or is he running interference for the opposition uh that's a good question i i don't know i mean i think some i've heard some people say that his comments on monday evening in frankfurt were taken slightly out of context um out of context context yeah, <laughs> uh regarding spence and doherty uh Do- doherty himself was asked about this on saturday evening after the game and i think he said he didn't you know he didn't let it worry him too much what comes out in press conferences about him um, but I thought Doherty, yeah, I mean, he looked really rusty. It was his first. It was his first start for Tottenham since he uh, had his knee injured in the Aston Villa game in April, so six months ago. Um, I thought he was fine. You know, I thought he he got into lots of good positions and was a bit too rusty to make anything of them. There were Sessegnon put in a few really good crosses to him, uh, which maybe he might have made more of. Uh, but yeah, I thought he. I thought given he hasn't played so well, he hasn't played for so long. I thought he did pretty well. There was that ball into space from Ben Tanker, wasn't there? Like that threaded pass that he got onto the end of. And I think he kind of took a touch rather than playing the ball to Sessignon first time. I mean, I think it's probably fair to say he grew into the game. Like his key contribution was that challenge in the last like 10 minutes. I can't think who was that on now. I can't think who that was. It wasn't Trossard, was it? My time, yeah. Like, like, I mean, that was an important challenge and he got it exactly right because that is one of those ones where if you get it even slightly marginally wrong, you're at risk of giving away a penalty. Yeah, he was in danger of getting a kiss from Eric Dyer there, wasn't he? No, no, nobody wants that. Maybe Mrs. Eric Dyer, but nobody else wants that, do they? Um, the three-five-two style, you know, it's not. I suppose they're not perfectly equipped for this, are they? Because they don't have, still have the uh, mercurial passing midfielder. But I thought um, Jack did it worked out insofar as it allowed Bissouma played deeper, and it allowed Benton Kerr and Hoiberg to move up the pitch ever so slightly. Um, but more importantly, and I want to make this plain, on Twitter, and don't listen to fools on Twitter, but I allowed myself to listen to a fool on Twitter. Um, when the team was announced, somebody put on Twitter, good, this means that Danny will stop moaning on the podcast about the system. It ain't about the systems. I'm not interested in the systems, it, only whether they work or, or don't work for me. It doesn't matter how you line up. It's about the attitude that that lineup uh, brings brings with it. Um, and in this case, it allowed Spurs to play on the front foot. And I mean defensively. I don't mean they suddenly went gung-ho attacking. 
they were breaking Brighton's moves down high up the pitch, which, as I keep on saying, um, means you only have to do two brilliant passes rather than four to beat a Premier League defence. Um, and in the first half an hour, they pressed Brighton pretty effectively, and Hoiberg and Bentenko were in much more creative positions than they often get into. It's only a matter of 10, 15 metres, but it does matter. Um, and I thought the the change, I mean, two things happened, and Spurs then became, the game became much more even. Obviously, Spurs scored, so they had something to defend. Um, and... Only Harry Kane could contrive to get into that position and then get the ball over the line with some half halfway house between his head and his shoulder. But that's what he does, and, and long may it continue. And then, of course, Basuma got booked and became slightly less effective um, in, in the position in which he was holding. But I thought it worked very well, not because it's 3-5-2, but because the players were able to do things defensively um, and, and offensively because they were further up the field as it turned out. But is that not intrinsically linked to there being an extra player in midfield, though? Like, like Benson, Kura and Hoiberg can go and can go after the ball higher up the pitch, knowing there's a third man in midfield to cover them. So they're not like leaving themselves completely exposed if they go after the ball 20, 30 yards into the opposition half. Whereas before, if they were just playing as a two, at least one of them would have to sit. Surely that is it kind of intrinsically linked. If you look, the whole team could move up, James, could move 30 yards up the pitch than what Spurs are doing and do exactly the same thing. You're afraid then over the ball over the top, but every system has an intrinsic weakness in it. You can't have 13 players on the pitch. Um, I just thought, whatever, what, for whatever reasons, and maybe, and maybe just the fact they were allowed to play a bit further forward, it allowed Spurs to look more like they were going to attack Brighton's goal and not fall back to defend their own goal um, in sort of Alamo style. Also, the third body there just helped them to keep the ball better. They had some good, you know, particularly in that first. In the first 20 minutes, and then there was another spell early in the second half, I think, where they it was just much, much easier for them to retain the ball under pressure, always having Basuma there. Um, and it meant they could take a bit of sting out of the game. As it happens, you know, in the second half, they ended up retreating and retreating and retreating. And it was kind of classic Spurs, you know, what some people call suffer ball or struggle ball. But um, I did, yeah, I did think Basuma there was, was very valuable for exactly that reason. And he re- I thought, I mean, Hoiberg and Bentenkoe, I think, are probably sp- uh, playing better than I think anyone else for Spurs at the moment over the last month or so. They've been brilliant. Like, Bentenkoe, having that extra protection really, it makes the most, it really shows up more of Ho- Hoiberg's energy, like his capacity to get around the, get around the pitch, which is brilliant. And also Bentenkoe's class. Like, Bentenkoe is such a classy player. There were so many times that he would, you know, he's able to kind of get a bit, full, he's able to run forward with the ball more, which maybe he might be reluctant to do if he's playing in the two, uh, pick up space, like play clever passes through. I, you know, it really, it kind of brings out an extra side to his game. I thought both of those two were brilliant. Spurs is two best players by a mile on that day. Yeah, I mean, a lot of the praise went to Sessegnon. His work was more showy, perhaps, with the, because of the, the power running. He was yeah, just, he was good. Yeah, he was doing power. yeah, he was good, but the other two were better, I think. Yeah, no, no. And, and the, the, you know, last Monday, I was explaining my pathetic Hoiberg plimpsoll line theory. And again, it worked there. You know, Spurs as a unit played much better, I think, than they've done for a while. Um, I, 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 and and in, in all of that, um, Hoiberg was... Again, outstanding. He was all over the place. With with regards to to Bentancur, it'll be interesting to see how he plays in the World Cup because he doesn't have to hold for an Uruguay's team. Torreira, um, ex-Arsenal player, holds for them. 
Um, and I think he could be persuaded um, by, by a coach that he can be a more creative figure once he gets that far forward. Um, he holds the ball beautifully, but I think he's got I, mean, I think he's got a pass in him as well. Um, and I, 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 sometimes we see it, but not always. Yeah, I definitely think that. I mean, I think that's probably true of all three of those midfielders, actually. Uh, Basuma, Bentenker and Hoiberg. Like, to, dif- to differing degrees, they're all kind of a bit silk and steel, aren't they? They've all got a bit of both about them. Which, if, if you're talking about having the three of them kind of in a rotation, and I don't mean in and out of a team, I mean positionally in a midfield as a three. I, I mean, that's like a pretty good setup to have, isn't it, surely? Yeah, I, I'm not sure. I'm not sure Antonio will go for too much rotating. Some, <laughs> somebody will be holding in front of the defenders for sure. Um, and in this case, it was Bissouma. Um, and you know, we'll see what happens against because um, the game's coming so thick and fast against Frankfurt. Um, whether he'll stick to that, but I thought it worked. It worked pretty well on Spurs, particularly in the first half an hour. I thought, wow, they're away from home here against a decent team, a very decent team actually. Um, and they're they're making this look like a you know they're they're going to win this game. I was just going to say it's very rare that you'll see a team go away to an inform decent Premier League team and play like that for the whole game. And I kind of think you shouldn't really expect Spurs to go and completely dominate a game against Brighton from the first to the last minute. Like they get, you know they had a very good spell. They had a less good spell where they were under a bit of pressure at the end, but you just you should kind of expect that. I just oh, don't no. think ta- you know. Ta- I don't. No, no. I agree. Yeah. I'm not saying no, you, no. you disagree no, with no, that. No, no, but no. I just think people should kind of accept that Spurs aren't going to completely dominate a game against a decent Premier League team away from home every week. One of the reasons why the Premier League is so good, you have to, if you take Manchester City out of it at the moment because they're distorting all the figures. Um, any away point you get, an away win is a remarkably difficult thing to attain. Interesting that it was. Not so during the pandemic when the crowds weren't involved, but clearly they are hugely important, uh, often to the way the referee sees things. Um, but you know, you're, you're absolutely right. Unless you're Manchester City, and I don't even, and not even Arsenal, Liverpool currently. If you're unless you're Manchester City, you're not going to have 90 minutes of domination in a away game. And that game was also uh, it was one of those games that we had quite a lot of recently, which is that if Son was playing better. And this is going to sound quite stupid, but it's what I think. Like if Son, if Son was playing better, Spurs would look so much better because so much stuff that last season, you know, there were a number of times in the second half, like that that through ball that Kane played through to Son, where he miscontrolled it. There was the one where Son was just offside, and then he's where he scored for a minute was disallowed. Like if Son was, if Son was playing as well as he was last season, Spurs would have won two 0 and it would, you know, there would have been no none of that sense of pressure really in the second half. But because Son's been off it. Spurs are struggling to turn, you know, these they, these good openings into goals, which is, of course, what we saw at Arsenal away, Frankfurt away last week, um, and so suddenly, you know, it feels like it feels like the overall Tottenham team isn't working so well. In fact, I actually think the overall Tottenham team is working really well, but it's only it's only in the final third that they're struggling at the moment. This was another really good defensive performance. I have to say, I, I am sort of coming around to the idea that there's going to come a moment where, and I know we thought it was going to be that Leicester game, but maybe that hasn't been the case, where, where Son is suddenly going to like be back. And, and we've talked about this before, but he is a, he is a bit of a tricky player, and I know people don't like to acknowledge that. Like In every season he's had the... and I'm, By the way, most players do. There aren't many players. You know, Even Harlan probably won't score. Well, it took him an hour game. the other day. He's useless. Um, yeah. Well, he's rusty. Um but the, like the idea that you know it, it, maybe this system change if it becomes a more permanent thing c- could be the the point that it, it changes for him, but or a thing that helps it improve for him. But I think there will come a point where it is going to click and he is going to start scoring goals and it'll end up with 
15, 18 Premier League goals. And if you add that on to what they've done up to now, you kind of think they should be, you know, they should be in a pretty decent place coming oh, into the season. The, the echo share optimism. I like that. No, Here I like we go. It a lot. This, I've got, I'm going to have to take this mantle now. For the yeah, next blind months, optimism in the face of the facts. I, I'm yeah. going to be the positive one. I, I, I can't do it. In the league. I can't be the optimistic exactly. one. Do you want, do you want to be? be? You can be. Well, I'm really open to that. I reckon I'm more optimistic than James on balance. Yeah, well, yeah well, you're not wounded by 30 years of his Yeah, so, I, so basically I have to be the Charlie. The you can be a Charlie if months. you want. Absolutely. No, no problem at all. Um, yeah, you, the, the song thing, the, the issue comes then um, with this, and let's not, you know, we'll have plenty of time to talk about this on other podcasts. When Kulusevski gets fit, where does he play if they go 3-5-2? Um, but that's a nice problem to have, and we'll talk about that later. Just a, a, to bring back, to knit together... Um, to bring this first part of the podcast to a close, the sort of last 20 minutes, they were hanging on Spurs. They're all they're defending stoutly, depending on what Charlie wants to say about it. Um, and I, I actually enjoyed that because I, I thought they defended properly. And even, you know, you can play deep and still be looking to do the right things. And the fact that they were congratulating each other over tackles made, the fact that Kane in the last minute uh, found a way to get back and get, get you know, put his ankle in the way of another good chance. Um, how many people thought, right, that's him done. Uh, it, is he all right, by the way? Does anyone know? Yeah, that's that, that's that World Cup over. Yeah. I mean, it, it, it was um, very Sunday league, that putting your leg in the way of the swing of the, of the, of the opposition, but it worked. Um, and I thought they were, they were really stout, to use, to use that phrase. Um, it was just a classic Conte defensive performance in the sense that like, the magic of how Spurs defend is... They, you know, they give up a lot of the ball. They often get forced pretty deep, but they don't really concede many high percentage chances. Like Brighton, at you know, l- like any team that's played against Spurs, or like a lot, sorry, like a lot of teams that play against Spurs, Brighton had a lot of low percentage chances on Saturday. But how many of them were actually really good? There was the there was the dunk header over the bar, which was not a great. I mean, it was good position, but not a great chance. There was that Solly March shot, which was quite a clever finish, which he but even then is still quite a low, you know, not one you'd expect to score from. And a lot of the time, you know, it's it's either stuff which is not in a good position or which gets blocked. So uh, I think, yeah, I think Tottenham did defend really well. I've got to admit, but believe it or not, I get quite agitated watching Spurs on TV. And I don't remember there being a moment in the second half where I felt like, it was all going to go wrong. I felt, I kind of feel like I, I felt quite comfortable that they were going to see it out. And, I, you know, I think that's kind of a testament to the fact that Brighton didn't really have any particularly good opportunities towards the end. I mean, that Doherty challenge was probably the thing that nipped that one in the bud and that would have been the one. That was the one moment where it looked like they were slightly out of place, slightly out of shape, and there might have been an opening. But other than that, I don't feel like they, they, they kind of... I, I don't feel like that Spurs defence was pulled out of shape too often. I don't, I don't think there were too many moments where they would have been like concerned that they weren't well positioned to deal with what was coming. Although uh, I remain constantly concerned when teams are that deep because stuff can go wrong. Referees, as they probed over the weekend, can do things. I mean, look, I, I'm going to bring this all together with Jack's piece that, that we talked about at the top of the, of the podcast. Um, I'm a sentimentalist. I also find connections in things that maybe are not there. But also, you know, since the, the piece actually talked about the way human beings are all different, um, I actually thought there was an extra edge to their defending. I thought they were desperate um, not to concede, not to throw away the three points. You know, uh, 
the black arm bands, all the rest of it. I thought they were there was a, a bit of them that was doing doing it for their their fallen comrade. Now it's easy to say that, and it's not something you could demand. I thought they were doing it in that way, and I felt just as Jack felt something um, at the press conference that he, that he hadn't felt at a press conference before. I was proud of them as blokes, not not as a football team. You know, results come and go. I was really, I just thought they were being very, very, and, you know, James, you've made the point, you can't expect this of people. But in the event, I thought they were really brave and together, and that's and that was good. Um, and, and well, you know, it was a good result, and they then got a chance to parade the shirt, and, of course, they're lucky to have a captain but who, because he's so undemonstrative, uh, Hugo Lloris, when he goes down the far end with the shirt, it means much more. If you had a, a flashy, performative, demonstrative captain, it'd just be another shirt display. Uh, but it meant a lot, and it was. It was. I thought the whole the whole day, um, the result obviously, and the way that it was dealt with, went really well. What I thought was really good uh, was that they did that in the 90 minutes. They did all the stuff they needed to do to win the game, and you're right, you know, bodies on the line and whatever else. But at the end, it wasn't like maybe a tiny bit from Conte but that's kind of what he does there wasn't like loads of like you know fist like, like chest chest whacking and like roaring and whatever it was all very low key all very kind of clearly emotional you know Kane in the interview on Sky afterwards I, I don't know if you would have seen this in Ireland I'm sure you've seen it on Twitter I did I did but, see it I mean it, yes. like struggling to get the words out and I, I think the combination of those two things I think is really good to see like the idea that like they did what they needed to do in a sporting context, but it was completely fine for them also to be this emotional, this outwardly emotional about it. Yeah, a- absolutely spot on. We'll talk more about emotions and, and getting them out in the second half of the podcast. We'll be uh, playing tribute uh, to the late John Duncan. Um, unfortunately, it's been a really poor week um, for Spurs fans of a certain vintage. Uh, we'll all talk about the atmosphere that Conte wants to generate on Wednesday night. As I say, we'll be talking a little bit more about mental health. That's all coming up here on The View From The Name with me, Danny Kelly, James Moore and Jack Pitbrook. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 US-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard it right. You can talk to a real human in customer service anytime. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask me. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com courtside to learn more. Rejection is a tricky thing when you're a kid. When I was eight years old, I was released by Arsenal. My dad was the one who told me. I wasn't old enough to fully understand the feeling of rejection, and Dad didn't show any signs of disappointment. He just put his arm around me and said, we go again and work even harder. Let's see where it takes us. And so we did. Yeah, welcome back to The View From The Lane. I'm Danny Kelly, Jack Pitbrook and James Moore with us, and that was the unmistakable voice of Harry Kane there, um, a little cartoon that he's done to talk about the need for open discussion if we're going to keep ourselves mentally healthy. Um, 
Uh, of course, he mentions the Arsenal there as well. I was very pleased with that. Um, he'll also be reading from the children's book The Lion Inside by Rachel Bright on CBBS to coincide with World Mental Health Day. And that airs on Monday evening um, at 6.50. Uh, um, and on top of everything else that's going on, um, in what is the busiest year of his career, uh, Jack, Harry Kane's also finding time to do these sorts of things. The book... The Lion Inside is about, you know, people believing they can't do something and the usual uh, thing now, trying to encourage young people to think that they can do things and make sure you talk about it and all the rest of it. It's one that he says he enjoys reading to his own kids. But, uh, you know, Twitter, the, the hellhole, the hate hive that is Twitter, you know, continues to find any number of reasons why Harry Kane is one of the most evil people on the planet, where all the evidence of our own eyes is that he's the opposite. Yeah, I, I, I agree. I also think... We have seen a bit more from Kane in the last few years, like opening up, you know, what he's interested in, some of his his pet projects and things that are important to him. For example, the you know the sponsoring of the Latin Orient kits, his support for you know for for prostate cancer research for the for the British Army. This, this kind of thing, um, you know, we always, I think the the perception has always been of Kane are that you know that um, he's only interested in he's only interested in scoring goals, and there's nothing, um, you know, I think the yeah the perception of him has been it's, it's like that famous line in American Pastoral about Sweet Love, you know, beneath the surface there's just more surface, you know, there's 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 no kind of deeper side to Kane, but I actually think that's a bit unfair on Kane, you know, he's kind of um, he you know I think he has I think he's quite private. Which you know he doesn't like to parade a huge amount about his his family life in in the public eye. I don't think he's not going to be on you know he's not, not going to have a behind the scenes documentary about his life anytime soon. I don't think, but you know he ca- he cares about his causes. He cares about sports. He cares about you know he clearly cares about mental health and um, uh, so yeah. I think he, he, he and in that in that sense, I don't think he's very different from most other footballers. I just think for whatever reason he gets. Uh, he gets a lot of stick. Yeah, and I should make the point that the the interview he was doing there on, on Twitter is not to do with the reading of the book. It's a foundation he set up um, to help uh, younger people, I think, with their mental health. Um, and, you know, all you can do is wish him luck with all of that. Where he finds the time for most of this stuff, I know footballers only train a couple of hours a day, um, but he does appear, because uh, he's got to walk his dogs as well, hasn't he? He's got quite a lot of time. Um, gets eaten up by, by, by all this. Well, stuff. I wonder if he's starting to think a bit about his legacy. You know, he's kind of. It'd be. It would be less than human. Yeah, he, you know, I mean, he's coming up towards thirty. He's, um, uh, you know, he's probably at the peak of his of his playing powers around now. Um, he's probably thinking about, you know, what, how does he want to be, you know, when he does stop playing, where even if that is in ten years' time or even twelve years' time, if he has a very long career. He's probably thinking about how he would want to be remembered and what he would want to be associated with. I mean, well, I mean he's also probably thinking, um, thanks to advances in sports science, and this, of course it's all down to net genetics as well, he's watching Robert Lewandowski playing arguably at a higher level than he was doing in Germany, tearing people to pieces um, in, in, in Spain and thinking, well, if he can, um, there's nothing to stop me playing to be until I'm 35. And, uh, uh, Hopefully, they'll, they'll... 
Zlatan Ibrahimovic is playing for Milan at 41 now. Yeah, I know. <laughs> hasn't, he, hasn't he kind of said he wants to play till he's 40? Or, or something along those yeah, lines? Yeah, I, I think, think he does. I, I gather that Be, is Before he starts his American football career, yeah. Yeah. That, that so, seems to be um, the plan. So, yeah, I, I wouldn't be surprised if in the next sort of few years we see probably more of this stuff from McCain. As he, I think he probably becomes a bit more confident talking about, about his causes. The thing is, he's never been a. He's never been. He's got this reputation. Some people think that Kane is someone who either doesn't care about politics at all, or who doesn't, or who you know has views that some people really might not agree with at all. I don't think. I don't think that's necessarily the case. I mean, for example, when he's been in his role as England captain, he's had to talk a lot about the importance of taking the knee, for example, and he's never been shy about talking about that in public. Like he's always, you know. It's something that I think he's spoken about pretty well, um, but and so I think m- maybe it's just a confidence thing in part. Maybe at the start of his career, Kane didn't feel like he could confidently articulate himself about stuff that was important to him. But maybe you know perhaps that will change now as he becomes a you know a, an older player rather than a younger player. Well, I think all the insecurities of twenty-year-old footballers, you know, about where's my career going, where am I going to play, where am I going to get my chance to play? All that's gone with him now, isn't he? He's an incredibly um, secure uh, footballer, fatherhood, all the rest of it. Um, it all, it all, think about yourselves. I mean, I can't remember when I was 20 and 30. It's too long ago, but both of you uh, can probably remember those two milestones. And the 20-year-old James and the 20-year-old Jack are very different human beings from the 30-year-old. Um, and maybe we're seeing some of that with Harry Kane. Now, listen... Um, a couple of weeks ago, a couple of podcasts ago, I notified you all on here that uh, John Duncan was ill. Um, and sadly, it's my, you know, you've probably read about it now. Um, the former Spurs striker has passed away um, and passed away um, to amazing tributes um, led by Sir Alex Ferguson, talking about how when he was manager of Chesterfield Nips, which how tremendous he was um, and how he and Ferguson kept in touch their time in Scotland, they didn't ever play or ban it, but they were never in the same team or club together. Um, and other people have been talking about John Duncan. I just, um, we only touched on it when I mentioned that he was ill a, a couple of weeks ago. Um, I just want to tell you that how he, he has an important place in Spurs' history, and it's this. Um, in the early 70s, as you probably know, Spurs were very successful. They won uh, two League Cups, a European trophy, they were beaten in the second European final. Um, by Feyenoord in 70, uh, I want to say 73, 74. Um, and they had, that team was driven by, by Martin Chivers up front. Um, and Chivers was for two years, I have no, no compunction about saying this, to, for two years, Martin Chivers, 71, 72, was the best centre forward in Europe. Um, but he was a, a, a slightly fragile character. Um, the famous story that uh, um, he, he was married to a Scandinavian woman um, and uh, when she used to go home, he was afraid to stay in the house on his own and would sleep with the light on. In the end, Spurs' solution was to send Joe Kinnear to go and sleep with him. Um, Martin Chivers was a great centre-forward. He went off to serve at Geneva uh, at the end of uh, 1974, and Spurs brought in to replace him John Duncan. John was a kind of lanky, skinny Scottish striker, uh, came from Dundee, and over the next... Four years, um, he was Spurs' leading goal scorer in three of those four seasons, despite being always troubled by injuries. He never played a full season for Spurs. Um, when Spurs got relegated in 77, 
Um, it, noticeable, that was the year he wasn't the leading goal scorer. John only played four games for Spurs, scored only two goals. Um, and I think, you know, there was a lot of things going on at the club that were negative, but his lack of appearances and lack of goals was a huge contributor to Spurs being relegated. Um, so the triumph comes the following season. Their one season in, in Division 2, as it was then called, um, a season where I saw virtually every game, home and away, uh, due to being um, located in Leicester in my uh, very unsuccessful further education. Um, what were the best... Sorry, can I, um, mm. can, can I interrupt you with yeah, questions? Sure. Or should we take questions of course, after? No, 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 absolutely. Um, what What were the best... You must have been some amazing away trips in the second division in oh, 1978. Don't, don't. Including grounds that probably no longer exist. Grounds that maybe even, even me and James haven't probably haven't heard of. Two, two, two of them spring immediately to mind. I mean, but bear in mind, um, this was in the days when you didn't have to have tickets to go to football matches. You could just pitch up. As the season got going and it's clear that Spurs were going to dominate that that division in the end they barely got across the line but for a while they were really by far the best team remember Hoddle was having his first full season here and he was just monstrously too good and John Duncan played most of the games a majority of the games should we say and we'll come on to what that meant for the team um oh Jack you've no idea that Spurs were taking north of 10,000 to some grounds for these away games. I remember going to the Victoria Ground in Stoke. Um, of course, we were also in the middle of the football violence era, but there was there was a huge contingent up there. Um, and it, it, it was like an invading army. You'd get to the town and all you would see was navy blue and white scarves and less shirts in those days, of course, but scarves. Um, and I remember also, and this is not to, uh, a thing that I'm proud of, uh, Spurs also went down to the Goldstone ground, um, as it was, in Brighton. So we're, 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 we're away from the Amex, past the With Dean. We're at the Goldstone now, back in the day. Um, and I have to say, I've never seen so much violence on a, in a football ground. All four sides of the ground were, were engaged, because there's just so many Spurs fans there, in fighting that went on throughout the game i i think it's the first time i've seen a police woman getting a wallop at a football match i certainly think i saw terry naylor spurs is right back getting into the crowd to add his tuppany eightney worth um so it was a mixture uh, jack of feeling really fantastic about the team doing so well and the huge support they were attracting um and of course as, as i say seeing scenes that on uh, an English football ground now would just would get the game closed down. The government would close the game down if those scenes were repeated. Um, invading army is the word I'd use, but hopefully a benign one, but it wasn't always so. That championship season, very quickly, um, John Duncan managed to play 29 games and he scored 20 goals. Um, and he was incredibly important in getting Spurs back into the top level first go. Those of you who don't Remember that Spurs managed to lose three of the last five games and so had to rely on a very, very, very late winner at home against Hull City by Steve Perryman, who scored like three goals in a thousand appearances. Um, that, and I've had a feeling that was probably um, be the, the, the if, if he's going to score them, we're going to be all right. On the last day of the season, they went to Southampton uh, to the old Dell. Um, both sides needing a draw to go up. And for the first time in English football, I saw both teams come out together. I thought, aha, excellent, the fix is in here. Um, a lovely sunny day as well. Um, early in the piece, um, Southampton hit the post. Alan Ball, the little Arsenal git, 
um, hit the post and it was clear that he was up for put, for winning the game. I don't think the Southampton team passed him for the rest of the match. And in a lovely sunny atmosphere, a nil-nil draws played out. Both teams went up. Bolton were champions. But John Duncan, um, his, his 20 gold goals in the league that year, um, really, really important. The following season, back in the first division, he was injury struck him again and he was uh, eventually transferred. He also... Um, you know, he managed Ipswich. I spoke to Georgie Bingham, the broadcaster yesterday, who's associated with the club, and she's just a, a more decent man you could not hope to meet. And as I say, if you want to read about John Duncan, Alex Ferguson's comments um, during his time, because John also worked for the League Managers Association, it's a place to go as well. Um, I, I've only... Rat- who, who, hang on, hang on, hang on. Who were the club who got... Uh- Done by Spurs and Southampton contriving to draw that game. Um, you'll have to look it up. I well, can't so who remember came, who fourth. So yeah. who came fourth? Brighton yeah. Hove Albion. Yeah. Oh, Brighton uh, was wow. it? How yeah. can you never hear them moaning about that? You know, like uh, that World Cup game was '82. Yeah. The, the disgrace of Hiron. Yeah. Uh, who was Algeria? Who got? Yeah, by Germany by? and Austria. West Germany and yeah. Austria. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, they go on about that all the no, time. No, no, Brighton's, Brighton's, Brighton's mental um, capacity for hate is all taken up by Crystal Palace, isn't it? And stuff that went on with Alan yeah. Mullery. So Spurs actually finished level on points with Brighton that season, but Spurs had a better goal difference. Wow. Would that have been early before? When did goal difference I think goal it, it feels like it might have been goal average. No? It was goal difference on the table on Wikipedia. All right, okay. But I don't know where, off the top no. of my head when... Go- when the goal average goal difference switch came goal average that maddest of all things what the hell was that about um so look uh, john duncan I-, I wanted to to pay him a proper due because you know the players we see now and the club um and it's 10th most richest club in the world it's big stadium all of this is built on the shoulders of other people who've gone before and it would be wrong for him not to mark his passing um if he'd stayed fit of course he would have got you know, lots and lots and lots of goals uh, for Spurs. But as in the end, and you can, Jack's looking at the stats now, in fact, in, in both in the league and in all competitions, he, he averaged just over one every two games. Um, Mansfield Town were in the... Sorry, sorry, I don't yeah. want to cut no, you off. No, no, you're welcome. Ma- you're Mansfield welcome. Town were in the second division that season. I oh, think that, all, all that must have been of, a very rare, rare. That must have been that they must have got vertigo. No, I don't recall team. going to Mansfield. I must have had some. The the clash must have been playing somewhere else in the country, so I didn't go. Oh, mate, we always had to make the decision. Not county in there later. Yeah, oh, Spurs drew three all at Mansfield in, yeah. in a league game. Yeah, that's the stuff. That's the stuff, isn't it? Looking for an assist with your credit card, but can't get a hold of anyone. Luckily, with 24-7, U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. 
See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. Thank you for, for, for listening to me going on about John Duncan and uh, I'll stop now. Um, which takes us back up to the present day, indeed into the near future. Um, Spurs, I'm, I'm, I, I don't know what the players are making. I'm loving them playing a championship schedule again where you play every three days. Um, and, of course, the, the home game against Eintracht Frankfurt. Eintracht Frankfurt got beaten at the weekend, absolutely hammered by Bochum, the worst team in the Bundesliga, with their first team out. Um, he said, tempting fate. Uh, first of all, do you think he'll stick with the 3-5-2? Yeah, Kulisevsky is not fit, and I, I I I don't know at the moment. I don't have an I haven't had an update since Saturday on Kulisevsky's fitness. Then I think it makes sense to to stick with it. I mean, this has got to be something. He should do this formation more often, not less. And James, uh, for you, do you think he'll stick with Doherty or will he return to the 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 Emerson Royal? Well, yeah, I mean that's m- maybe a more interesting question, actually, isn't it? Because obviously. It's a free, it's a free match ban, right? So he'll be out again at the weekend. So you can see the logic in like putting Royale back in on Wednesday. Well, but you night. can't then say Doherty's okay against... rusty and then not play him. That is true. But I mean, he's been saying that all season, and he hasn't been playing these fringe players. So uh, you know, um, no, I have no idea. I, I, like it's hard, look, we've established it's kind of hard to tell what he's going to do, isn't it? Um, I wouldn't be surprised if he went back to Royale for this game. But Doherty's presumably going to play against Everton. Yeah, I mean, we'll we'll see what he wants to do. The, the, the trick here would be to try and win these uh, the game against Seintracht, the game against Sporting. That would give them 10 points, and then you could probably rest some of the other players for the last game of that group. I, I, th- I think I'm right in saying if they win the two home games and Sporting and Marseille don't draw on Wednesday night, I think mathematically they'll be through before that last game. Yeah, you, you, I think you, that's you right. really have to... Um, produce contortions if you get 10 points it's very very difficult not to qualify yeah. uh, these Champions League groups teams have done it um, but you really need an, an absolute whipping boy or girl or whatever we're now calling the whipping person um, in those groups for that to happen I think the whipping bit is probably the bad bit in that isn't it well yeah yes I suppose you probably can't whip people now no you probably have to get their permission to do the whipping now yeah um, what about Conti's comments um, after the game in Frankfurt where on reflection, I, I thought Spurs should have won with a bit more accuracy that uh, Jack was talking about in their final passing. But Eintracht were kept in the game by the by the crowd and the atmosphere, which was fantastic. Even even watching it on a big television, you're thinking, whoa, they're really in this game, the crowd, aren't they? Um, and afterwards, Antonio Conte, Jack, said that he would hope that the Spurs fans would more regularly replicate that atmosphere. Now, we know it can be done. Because what happened against Arsenal, uh, you know, in April, um, maybe the way the team has been being a bit passive hasn't helped that. But uh, he, it was noticeable that he called for it. I have uh, to ask uh, something to our uh, fans to create a fantastic atmosphere because uh, the team and I 
we want to go through to the next round and uh, we know that in the next two games will be decisive we have to try to to play with uh, 13 players uh, 11 players more two players the two players has to be our fans uh, on Wednesday yeah I mean this this is something that uh, you've heard from Guardiola as well before has been you know when City have had in, a, in the course of a Champions League campaign um, and the atmosphere you know they've come up against some good atmospheres away from home kind of hoping the atmosphere the atmosphere will be better for the for City's home games I mean as it happens I think the you know the atmosphere for European games at Tottenham is probably better than it is at City um, although it has got better at City over the last few years not that that matters in this case um, oh do yeah. please tell us more about Manchester City you know I get shouted at when I talk too much about City on this podcast um, oh well so I think, yeah, I mean, look, obviously Conte will want a really good atmosphere for that game. Um, I think Spurs, you know, Spurs definitely should win. I didn't think Frankfurt were great in that first game. I thought Kamada was quite good in midfield, um, but they never really looked like they were going to score. The loss heard, of Kostic is a huge yeah, chunk of their I'd heard a lot from. beforehand about um, Randall Kolomuani up front, but he didn't really do much, I didn't think. Um, so I didn't think Frankfurt were great. I think Spurs, Spurs will be kicking themselves if they don't win, win this game on Wednesday. Well, hopefully they will, and hopefully then the uh, this is the one season where you sh- shouldn't be looking too far down the road. But I'm already planning for Harry Kane to have a rest um, in the last game uh, of this uh, of this group in the in the Champions League. Um, listen, it's been a, a complicated show, lots of strange beyond football things going on. Some of them. Uh, it's wrong to describe uh, John Duncan's death as tragic because he he was a man who'd had a, a full life. Um, Bentrone too, but. Uh, Thank you both for helping me steer through. Um, you know what is uh, not 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 for us compared to the the, play, the people who knew him and Antonio Conte, whose tears I won't forget in a hurry, and who was probably getting two weeks off from me banging on about him um, because of it. But uh, thank you very much for all of that. And thank you everyone for listening to the podcast. The games come thick and fast. We're back again on Thursday, hopefully discussing a win in the Champions League. Um, and remember, of course, that if you're not already now uh, an Athletic subscriber, uh, you can sign up uh, to read all the brilliant Spurs stuff. And once again, I recommend Jack's piece about the human reaction to Ventroni's death as well. Um, and there's a load of stuff on the site as well beyond Spurs. Just go to theathletic.com forward slash Spurs pod and sign up right now for just £1 a month for the six months uh, after that. Um, that's theathletic.com forward slash Spurs pod. Thank you all for listening. Back on Thursday. Cheers for now. The Athletic.